0: goodness. Hi, Marlaya. Hi, Patrice.
1: (laughs) So this is our, (laughs) we have a teeny tiny live audience of very close
0: friends and family here. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Because this is our anniversary episode. And it is Friday the 13th. We started this, well, we talked about it before we did our first podcast on December 13th. Um, and that was when I texted you the like manifesto mm-hmm. during your uh, during uh, my daughter's birthday party, yeah, during Abby's birthday party. <laughs> or was it Coco?
1: No, it was whichever one you didn't help with. You oh, were there Coco. For one of them. I was there for Abby <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, Hey, Patrice, you have a smoke machine,
0: right? Oh, yeah, Interactive so it, it was movie
1: night requires your assistance, right? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We should we
0: should talk more. For about more that. details. Right. Follow up
1: on our like next business model, which is <laughs> the, <laughs> the the plans for your next interactive movie night.
0: Yes. All right. So so Friday the thirteenth, perfect. We've got like a perfect group of people. Yay! We have we are up we're not in the pod basement. We're no. actually in the living room, which is kind of where we started out. Yeah, and we
1: used to have really shitty equipment. Susan remembers this <laughs> yes. because this is, and it was funny. We were sitting there trying to figure out where to put our chairs, and mm-hmm. Patrice was like, "Well, you can sit yeah. there, and you can sit there," and I was like, "And Susan will sit there, <laughs> <laughs> all right." It was you very, very early. Early. and, and early it was back when on. we had to take a blanket and put it over two chairs yes. between us so that we couldn't get as much sound backup
0: right we into were the microphone yeah because we were like doing the echoey <laughs> thing and it was just like but we fixed it and now we got better equipment we got and better equipment and patrons and a account. checking account and <laughs> Check shit <us> awesome <laughs> followers and I know, I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> it's all because of you! <laughs> Woo, it's all because of you! <laughs> all right, so we just like literally yesterday drove back into town from Mississippi. I had to give an exam at Mississippi State. And so uh, I took Marlaya with me and kind of showed her my hometown. We drove through mm-hmm. my hometown, then we went to Starkville, which is where I got my undergraduate degree. And then we came back, and of course, we had to go down Three-Legged Lady Road. Oh, my fucking God. So, luckily, <laughs> we did it during the day.
1: There was no exaggeration on the creepiness of this road. Like, I've driven down country back roads before, but this was something special, man. Right? I was like... So, <laughs> as
0: soon as, so um, Mississippi, in a lot of ways, it, it's different than Alabama, because... In a lot of ways, it's like Louisiana this way. It's like, once you get off the interstate, you're in country. Mm -hmm. And that was, like, something that Marlea, like, we, we had been on the interstate basically the whole time and just, like, blowing through little towns. And she really, you know, the landscape changed a little bit and she didn't really say anything until we, like, started headed towards three-legged lady road and as soon as we left the interstate she was like holy shit it got country quick it did it did i mean that was not
1: it's not even a gravel road it is like a dirt-ass road out there with like cypress swamps on both
0: sides yes it was and so we're in my prius and there's like this huge sign that was not there because it's been 20 years since I've been down Three Legged Lady Road, um, and so the sign saying that you are being recorded.
1: Well, it said oh. it said cameras in progress. Cameras and I was like, in Dude, progress. That doesn't even mean anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that's kind of new, and so. It's a really long road and it's all gravel and red clay mm-hmm. and I'm in my Prius and it's wet and we are right there by the river so everything it's been it's rained a lot so there was a lot of flooding so it was basically like gravel road just you're going to get stuck in this area right here if you, like, mm-hmm. get on this side of the gravel road and then, like, swamp. Mm-hmm. It was swamp in and cypresses. Um, and it's grown up a lot since I remember going out there. So we went down it and went down it. And I was like, okay, this kind of makes, you know, kind of remembering some of these twists and turns and everything. And then we went past the cemetery. And I was like, I knew I was really quick. But before we got to the cemetery, there was, like, a truck part. Oh my god, you saw that too cuz we didn't talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to freak you out because my shit was, was totally already freaked out. freaked out. And I didn't want to talk about the possibilities of who was in that truck.
1: Sleeping in that truck and what that truck whatever he was, was in
0: because they're literally there's no residence. There's nowhere to turn around. There's it's just a road. And so I am like white knuckled. Like just first of all hoping that I don't slide off and because I'm gonna be stuck. It's like I was really scared about getting stuck.
1: She didn't talk like the whole
0: time <laughs> this I It did not. It was like a
1: 10-15 <laughs> so, minute
0: drive. It was. It was, it was like yeah. I, it felt like four hours actually. But I was sitting there and I drove down. We saw this. I was like, okay, the cemetery. We're getting close. We're getting close. We're getting close. And so we're just like, we're going twenty miles an hour because I didn't want to go any faster well, I than that. that we
1: we're going that fast. I don't <laughs> even think we're
0: going that fast. But I didn't want to go any slower because again, I was afraid of getting stuck because it was just so wet. And
1: that guy in the pickup truck.
0: And the guy in the pickup truck. And I was like fuck and so we're going we're going to see some It's like okay I think it's around here somewhere and because all my landmarks are gone because everything's so grown up and then like we drive past like there's like this strip of black and this other strip of black. I don't change speed. I don't slow up. I don't get faster. i just like, well, I think that's it. All right. Let's go. And Marley was like, oh, was that it? Was that it? And I was
1: like, yeah, I think that was it. Okay, let's go. Yeah, once once we hit pavement again, she's like, so I'm really sorry I didn't slow down. I meant for you to be able to take pictures and stuff, but I was really fucking freaked out.
0: Because, so. <laughs> yeah, we, and there was another truck, too. There was two mm-hmm. trucks total. Yeah, and they were just, they were empty, but they're on the side of the road. And so I really think probably, I'm hoping that they're just hunting. And it is hunting season, I believe. And I that's just scary I enough, being know. out in the woods and hunting season. The one
1: that I really looked at, like... Was that
0: double cab?
1: It was the one that it was facing, like the windshield was facing the yes. road. And so when we went by, and there was clearly nobody in it. Mm-hmm. But there was, like, trash piled up in the front windshield. Like, oh, shit. I'm glad Probably, I like, that. six inches in the front windshield. And I'm like, "Somebody I living in that damn truck? Mm. <laughs> like, doing fucking drug deals out of it, uh, whatever no. the hell. And then I was like, oh, I hope we
0: don't come across the plot film. <laughs> <laughs> is that what the cameras are for? <laughs> <laughs> that is what the cameras are for. <laughs> and there was also a warning from the yeah. county. Like, mm-hmm. don't, like, county. Something about county property. Property, so, don't, don't fuck with it kind of thing. <laughs> That's what it said That's exactly what it said Don't (laughs) fuck with it You're being taped And then like You automatically go Into a horror film (laughs) It was like a horror film For about 15 minutes (laughs) (laughs) Yeah (laughs) So that happened And we made it And we survived Mm -hmm. And I was What I was really scared about Was getting stuck Mm -hmm. And then having to call On Bubba To come get us out no, Bob's towing. It was right at the beginning. Well, Bob, of the road. Bob's towing was at the, really right at the beginning, but then, you know, then you have that car that drives up while you're stuck and you're sitting there and they did like the slow roll. I mean, I had like the whole movie in my head Apparently about how we were going to so. die. Oh. <laughs> Two podcasters die yeah. on Three Legged Lady Road <laughs> on the eve of their anniversary. Oh my god. <laughs> So yeah, so I was a little quiet because I was playing the movie in my head. (laughs) Mm. Do you have any other things to think
1: Mm. about? I don't think so. Okay,
0: what did I talk about last week?
1: Um, I don't remember. They don't know yet either because we haven't released released it, so no one can help us. (laughs) Shit um i c- wrote the whole thing about it
0: oh yeah so it had to do with sydney lanier no that was the week before no i know but it, it had to do still oh yeah um this is good radio right here this is good <laughs> <about some> <laughs> oh yeah so let's talk about this drink Oh my God! We
1: have to apologize to Courtney for cursing her while she was in Key West. Because yes, she brought the there were some very
0: ugly words said about Courtney while she was gone Key West, <laughs> and she was sending photos of drinks. Back. She sent.
1: She sent a snap of she's like I'm on a catamaran at sunset on a beanbag. <laughs> I
0: was like, um, Oh my God! I was living my best life. For <laughs> real, real. But. Um, <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: She's still getting some hate right, right. here. Right. Yes, absolutely. But no, she brought home, she just made for like all, what, 10, 12 of us this. Um, what did you call White
0: it? White Christmas Margarita. White Christmas Margarita. Yes. Oh, so much tequila. We're bringing yes.
1: all the skills. Yeah, she was like, we went to Costco to get the
0: tequila for this.
1: <laughs> and she's trying to pour it into the into the measuring cup. And I was like, I think you need somebody to lift that it's for you. It's a two-person
0: pour for that tequila bottle.
1: Yeah, it's like, like two liters of tequila. Oh, my gosh. Um, so worth it. But, uh, yeah, it's tequila and coconut milk and... um Coconut rum, Cointreau, Quintre. which is really tasty on its own. Yes. Lime juice.
0: We did small taste testing. What? Cranberry and mint, yes. Mm, yes. It's absolutely delicious and it's beautiful on top of that. Yes, it's super pretty. It is. Oh,
1: by the way, I will post um on the patron page, I'm going to post a video of uh, Three Legged Lady. Lady Road.
0: But (laughs) But of the of the special people who are here, right? And Noel, (laughs) I saw that you you. just signed up, so (laughs) thank you. We will share a little preview. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that's it. I don't think I have anything because I clearly can't remember
0: what I talked about last week. Oh, I I talked about the swamp. I talked about the small.
1: Oh, I know moonrise. And I know moonrise. That was a good one. That was a good one. I talked about something different than that. You did. Oh. <laughs> all right. Oh, cross garden. Yes, you did. I talked about W. C. Rice's cross garden in Prattville, Alabama. That's. Oh, you did. I did, and I did a damn fun job of it too. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, <laughs>
0: so go back and listen to that. But anyway. You know. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. All right, let's do this thing. Let's do it. All right. So it's kind of full circle here. We talked about Three Legged Lady Road on our first episode in my hometown of Columbus, Mississippi. It's been exactly one year, and now I'm going to do a hometown murder. It, did this murder fucking happen on Three Legged Lady Road? <laughs> 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 No, but <laughs> that would like, be perfect. I don't think there has it's been any, terrifying. any murder that have happened on the <laughs> Three-Legged
1: Lady birth. None that made it to the newspapers.
0: None that made it to the uh. newspapers. So this is probably... I don't know. I can't say if, if this is the most famous murder from Columbus, Mississippi, the small town that I'm from, but it's definitely one that got talked about a lot in the 60s and 70s. So... Um, this is the Jean Cain Tate murder that happened in Columbus, Mississippi. And everybody's like, well, who the fuck's that? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. There is actually a book written about this murder called In the Cold Light of Day. And it's by Ann Williams. And she's also from Columbus. And it was uh, published in 1998. And I think it was self-published, but then it got picked up. And I have a copy of that book. And it's fucking signed, and I oh, can't wow. fucking find it. And oh, my God. That was no. like what I was tearing my house up last night oh, trying oh, to sucks. find so that I could, you know, check some reference points. So most of this is, it was it was publicized so much, there's plenty of newspaper articles about it and stuff. So luckily, I was able to reference that. Um, that was so frustrating. But... It's not like the best novel ever. Um, Anne Williams was 10 years old um, when this murder happened in Columbus. And um, I don't know if she lived in the neighborhood, but Columbus is such a small town. Everybody obviously knew about it. And so she ended up moving to California and became a lawyer. And she started writing um, some pieces or some true crime out there from some of her experience. And then she just she said, "Oh, you know, I remember this happening in Columbus." And she moved back to Mississippi and worked on the book and then self published and then it got picked up. So the murder on the morning of Sunday, January thirty first, nineteen sixty between 10:30 and 1055, um, a boy came home, or a family came home. It was father and th- three siblings. Uh, came home and an eight year old boy found his mother dead. Oh. She was lying in the garage with a coat hanger and a black scarf twisted around her neck. Oh, shit. And there was like blood splattered on her face. Um, she had been strangled to death. Mm-hmm. So they were coming home from Sunday school. There was Jeez. actually four children. The other child was with the grandparents for some reason. I don't know. Um, so the mother was Jean Kane Tate. She was a beautiful 31-year-old former homecoming queen, leader of social uh, circles, uh, wife of a prosperous businessman, uh, uh, Irwin Tate. And so she, like, everybody knew her in the neighborhood. She was, like, this iconic neighbor in the 1960s in this affluent uh, area of Columbus. Um, And this is, like, you know, again, like... Late 1950s, 60s, post World War II, very white, very waspy. Oh, I thought you said very white. Very <laughs> white. Very <laughs> <Barry> white. <laughs> Hello, babe. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry. No, I probably did. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court had already outlawed racial segregation in like the mid 50s, but Mississippi was very slow to adopt. Um, so the kids are like, they had free range. Nobody, you know, it's the typical everything that you always hear about small town murders. You mm-hmm. know, everybody, you know, left the doors Just, unlocked. Yeah, it was the kids, a different kids. It was a different time. Um, the kids like had free range of every household, every yard. They all played together. They everybody knew each other. They all worked together. Went to the same church. Um, went to the same parties, and so. Um, This murder uh, of this icon, you know, traumatized pretty much everybody that knew and loved Gene Tate. But it also traumatized the whole town. And it really became like the O.J. Simpson trial of the Southeast during this time. Mm -hmm. And um, at the heart of the Gene Tate uh, murder was her neighbor's son called John Maddox. So, John Maddox was a handsome, clean, crew-cut, tall, slender 19-year-old boy. He was a Mississippi State college student, but he was still living with his mom and dad, and they lived right next door to the Tates. Um, The carport of the Maddox residence was, like, literally six feet away from uh, the garage of the Tates. So, they lived, like, so close together. And, of course, they knew everybody. Um... People who knew John said that he was, like, a hunter, a loner. He had an angry personality, and he was mean and had a violent temper. Oh, great. And soon it was revealed that he also was a stalker. Mm. So John was infatuated with Jean Tate because she was, like, this 31-year-old, like, beautiful mother, lived next door, um... And so uh, he fixated on her, basically. Uh, Jean would complain to her husband that John was giving her the creeps and that he was always just looking at her and that he would follow her around town and stuff. Oh, my God. So the cops quickly arrested Maddox. They had no evidence except for his fixation on Tate. And he was released two weeks later. So they had no suspects. They had no leads. There was a lot of rumors going around in this small town. And my mom who and dad, who are from Columbus, they were about Ann Williams' age. They were about uh, 10 or 11. And they remember this. And a lot of the people that they knew um, were involved in the trial and stuff of this murder. Because um, I talked to her about it before when I decided I was going to do this for our anniversary show. So, um, a lot of you know, not a whole lot. two months passed, and um then, all of a sudden, this girl named Sarah Grayson contacted the police with information that turned their focus back towards John Maddox so Sarah Grayson was a nineteen year old uh, Mississippi State student who was friends with John. She worked as a nurse aide in the psychiatric clinic there. And she had been classified, like, as a girlfriend and as a friend. So, again, if it, this is 1960s, so it's hard to say, like, you know, if it's a boy and a girl together, a lot of people will say we're their boyfriend and girlfriend, um, where they could have just been friends and nothing romantic was happening. So that's kind of very fuzzy what their actual relationship was. Mm-hmm. So she contacted the police. Um and so the in 1961 Maddox had a trial so he was charged with her murder and the media was given full access to the courtroom the only thing that they couldn't do was use flash but they could record and they could take pictures and i don't think at the time there was like any video otherwise we'd have video online of this but there's plenty of pictures and i don't know if there's any audio or not but they said that there's like all the like news media had like their mics set up and in the courtroom Um, They said there there were so many people at the trial of John Maddox that the courtroom literally sunk an inch on one side. Oh, my God. Because of everybody that squeezed in there. (coughs) Holy cow. So Sarah Grayson, and a lot of this, like, a lot of this information I'm piecing together from different news articles from around Mississippi and also San Francisco um, did a news article on this uh, later on. So there's, like, a lot of people... Or a lot of news agencies in the South um, definitely grabbed hold, and it was like everybody was like reading it, like what's going to happen? what's you know, because it was public, so well publicized. Um, and then there's also the uh, transcripts from the trial is actually online, so you can find oh, that. Wow. So a lot of this I got from the transcripts from the uh, trial. So Sarah Grayson testified that she became a friend of Maddox as a fellow student at Mississippi State University. She related in length their various conversations, and she told of a picnic on November 4th, 1969, that, um, so a few months earlier, that she and Maddox told her that he was having a love affair with a married woman in Columbus. Oh. And that, uh, who was also like his neighbor and the mother of four children. And Maddox said that she stopped the affair because of her love for her family and Maddox commented on how easy it would be to kill somebody with a scarf similar to Sarah's, what Sarah was wearing. Whoa. And um, several days before the homicide, she said that Maddox told her that he figured out how to commit the perfect crime by using a coat hanger, which would leave no fingerprints. He's bad at this. Yes. (laughs) 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 So, they had nothing until Sarah decided to come forward, and Sarah, throughout this process, would be, like, their lead, you know, obviously witness and, um, person to incriminate him. So, after the homicide, Maddox, um, you know, was, Sarah came and testified against him, and Maddox was, like, very visibly upset with, um, her being in the courtroom, and, um... you know she wanted they asked her why is she doing it and she's like cause she kind of was scared of Maddox Mm -hmm. and she thought that obviously it was her duty to you know tell what she knew uh She was vigorously cross-examined. Her testimony was clear and concise. So she was like an extremely credible witness. Like she didn't waver. And we're talking about a 19-year-old woman in a Mississippi courtroom with, um, I believe, the, I don't know, legalese and stuff, but the, the, not the prosecution, but the person that was representing Maddox. The
1: defense.
0: Uh, the defense, thank you. He was um, uh, he was uh, related to Governor Stennis. So he was like, comes from like the governor's family and was like big wig and whatnot. So they grilled her. Like they went in and, um, you know, really kept asking her like <laughs> these questions and, and talking about her and she never wavered from like her story. Jean's husband also testified and he told him that the relationship between him and Jean uh, had been strained for several months up until that fall, because of Maddox, um, his manifested interest in his wife, and that Maddox was constantly staring at her, following her in her car at night, when they would leave and return to his home in his car shortly after she returned home. Uh, He said on one occasion, Maddox followed them in his car when they went to a drive-in movie, and... um, a few, However like a few weeks Before the homicide Everything kind of like Cleared up So she was like Really distressed and, and this is where The rumor between Well Maddox was saying That like he had a love affair With this woman But this is kind of like Really where the rumor Starts to pick up In Columbus Because it's like Did they have a love affair Or was he just Fucking stalking her Yeah And she didn't know You know <coughs> How to handle it And her husband was No fucking help because you know he was kind of blaming her it's kind of the like well you know why is he constantly staring at you why what are you doing to like you know lead him on and whatnot and um it is guess. and I wish I had the book because I think it is um it is she confronted Maddox uh like a couple of weeks before the murder Saying like you've got to stop You've got to leave me alone Which made him really mad And then she got Because he had that violent temper mm-hmm. And then she got scared To be at home by herself Without her husband there um, And so um, You know when, Once she started to like You know Once everything seemed all right between her and her husband, you know, when everything like calmed down, that was like the big fucking red flag because now she was scared to stay at home by herself. So um, one of the things that besides the testimony from Sarah Grayson was that Maddox shirt, um, he was wearing like this blue checkered shirt. And a lot of people had seen him in this shirt. And they didn't have DNA. So they had fingerprints. They didn't have DNA. They had fiber comparisons. Mm-hmm. So he was wearing this um, blue and white checkered shirt. He pre- was supposed to have um, been, you know, somewhere else. And people throughout town have, you know, saw him during the time of her murder, or right before her murder, in this blue checkered shirt. So... Uh, They tested her shirt, and they found, like, several fibers matching his shirt um, come off of her shirt. But it's very—it was, like, very thin evidence. Um, And plus, like, when they finally went to arrest him, it had been two days after the murder. Mm. So he wasn't, like, immediately—he wasn't caught red-handed. He was— you know, call two days after and they're like, you know, give me the clothes that you were wearing. So they were probably washed mm-hmm. and whatever blood splatter. And of course, they didn't have like that kind of science at the time um, to help them. So the main issue for a lot of people, again, was the timing of where Maddox was that morning. Um a couple of people had Maddox placed at um, their home, the Douglas home, which was seven miles from Columbus around 1020. And the murder, again, was around 1030, 1055. But there was a gas attendant that said that he saw Maddox after 10 a.m. that Sunday morning um, heading from the Douglas's home towards Columbus. So he could have made it there in time to like run into her, into her. Um, in her garage at that time um, there was a detective that was talking with Maddox uh, what, or was interrogating him and he was like trying to say you know why do you think people are fingering you as the suspicious one and um, he's like well Maddox says I'm not the only one that could have convicted this crime and the detective was like well yeah that's true so who else do you think you know? Who who are the other people? Do you think could have killed her? And he got like really frustrated, and he, the the detective, it's like you know he's like who else could have done this then if it wasn't you? And the and Maddox said, well I tell you why because I was there. And he was like, what? what? Right. He's like, like, it was just like this really weird behavior. And then he said, like, immediately, you know, after he said that he stopped. And so the detective was like, okay, were you in the garage? And Maddox goes, I was there. And then he shut up because he was like, oh, fuck. Um, And then Hopper, who is the detective, you know, stated that Maddox denied killing Mrs. Tate. Um, However, like, his testimony and the gas attendant placed him where he definitely could have been there in the garage to kill um, Mrs. Tate. Mm -hmm. So, many people came forward about Maddox's personality. Uh, Neighbors testified that when Maddox was 14 and in the Boy Scouts, he whipped um, their son with a stick (laughs) till, like, it, he, like, he, like, brutalized like it bled it like really tore up oh my god like you know um, her son and so she dragged him over to the maddoxes and said look what your son did um and showed his parents but on the stand john's father denied knowing anything about that incident Mm. he also he was kicked out of the scouts actually for and which i think he had been there for a long time um For that incident and because he also shot somebody with a pellet gun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one of the uh, people that testified on his character. So there's like they don't have really rock solid evidence. This is not that kind of police force. This is not that kind of police time. Mm. Um, So a lot of it is hearsay. A lot of it is is circumstance. Um, And a lot of it plays into character like witness kind of stuff and so one of the guys and I'm gonna think this is probably one of the dads or one of the den leaders of boy scouts of or the cub scouts at the time who had been camping with him and the boys a lot he said that you know John was pretty mean and did have a violent temper so like all of these people and and pretty much everybody in the neighborhood knew this of John um after the night of the murder, people that were around Maddox said that he was just acting really strange and he was pacing and he seemed really nervous. However, there was also a lady that came up and testified and said that her daughter was dating Maddox after the killing and that she didn't find a single thing wrong with him and he was a perfectly nice young man and she would have him over at his ho- her house any time. So, just really strange. He was really, like, cute. And so, no, like, girls would come over from state during the trial and just, like, you know, sit there and fawn over him. Um like Ted Bundy. Yeah, very much, you know, the groupie kind of thing. Um, however, John Tate, not John Tate, I'm sorry, John Maddox was con... Um, <laughs> we have Rose in the audience right now, who is like reeking terror, as she does. So John Maddox was convicted by the circuit court of Lowndes County in Mississippi of the murder of Jean <laughs> Kane Tate. However, something happened where... Grayson's and this is got I was reading like actually the court documents and I had a hard time following it because I am a lawyer. <laughs> and um and there was something about an inconsistency between what Sarah Grayson said and then what she had written down to the attorney general hmm. previously. And so they I guess were trying to shoot for a mistrial or, or something there. So they appealed the conviction. And, um, you know, saying, like, there was a erroneous admission in the testimony. However, uh, they're like, I don't know. This is where it gets weird. It's like they shot that down. They're like, no, there's nothing erroneous that lines up with what she said. But they still, like, appealed and he went to trial again. Oh. So, during this appeal process, while they were they were working this out, Sarah Grayson went into seclusion. Um, she transferred to the University of California at Berkeley. And, um, you know, she just survived a character defamation. You know, they really grilled into her. Uh, the press was hounding her. And she was getting death threats. Damn. So, like, everybody. It was like, it was very much us against them kind of thing. There was, like, either you were with, you know, Maddox or you were against Maddox. And and it was, like, very, it was very bad. However, um, Maddox was in Lauderdale County, which is around Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, He was waiting for his appeal to go through. And um, while he was there, he met two brothers, Dan and Fred Wilkerson who um, had been convicted of uh, armed robbery they during his second trial testified that uh, Maddox had uh, said he like he never killed he never admitted to killing Miss Tate however hold on he did say that he did love her so he never admitted to killing and said that he loved her um, and if he could not have her then no one else will
1: Okay, And
0: then he asked them to kill Sarah Grayson.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: um, Because that was an eyewitness against him. So Fred Wilkerson said that Maddox also stated that he had asked Miss Tate to run away with them, but she refused because she loved her children and husband. And Maddox offered to pay um, the brothers $1,500 to kill Miss Grayson. When she came home from Christmas, and it was like it was this whole elaborate thing, where he was going to like send a picture of Sarah Grayson to um, one of the to the Wilkersons' mother, and like a Christmas card, so that they knew what she looked like, so that when she came home from Christmas, they'd be able to identify her and kill her, because he would be still like in jail. Um, So, of course, the brothers went and told all of this to, you know, the authorities probably to get a better deal or whatnot. And so when the card came uh, to the mother, the sheriff was there. And so he was able to see Fred open up the card. And, of course, it was a Christmas card and it had Sarah's picture in it (laughs) to kind of like confirm the story Mm. and whatnot. So they have all this and they're They're going into the second trial or they're they're convicting him again, and they decided not to convict him for the attempted murder murder or trying to pay somebody to murder Sarah. They want like the big like uh Jean Tate murder mm-hmm. because at that time, if he was like found guilty of hiring somebody to murder. It was a twenty-five dollar fine and just what? a little what? bit of time in jail. What? <laughs> it was like so. Apparently, it was a free for all. Oh my god! No, twenty-five. It was a ridiculous. So they, but they used the, they used the fact that he tried to hire these people to kill Sarah, who was the key eyewitness, and he did say like you know. If nobody, you know, if I couldn't have her, nobody could, yeah. kind of deal. They use that as part of evidence in the second trial. So Sarah's like already gone. She's in California. She's, you know, studying. She's a student. Um, she comes back and she again gives her testimony in the second trial. And of course, Maddox like denies having a love affair with Mrs. Tate. Um, he denies the conversation with Miss Grayson and um basically everything that they say he denies doing it. And um, you know, the only thing that, you know, he really or can't deny is like his own testimony of placing himself in the vicinity there, uh, at the time of the murder. So of course again he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. So, John Tate spent his, or was sent to Parchment, Mississippi. No, Maddox? Uh, Maddox, yeah. sorry. I keep writing John Tate. <laughs> My bad. John Maddox was sent to Parchment, which is like, I grew up knowing about Parchment. It's like, they always threatened you, like, oh, you're going to go to Parchment. It's like the <laughs> big. <Stone laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Stone what it was. Waller. It's like, what you always talk about. Beautiful Except beautiful. it was the man's prison, right? So, it's the Mississippi State Penitentiary, <laughs> also known as Parchment Farms. Um, it's the oldest prison prison there in Mississippi. It's maximum security for men, um, and it started like in 1901 with four stockades. So that's like the roots of that prison, and it's huge, and it's still there. Um, so he gets sent there in t- uh, like 1970s, ten years later. Uh, he was actually discovered, and I found this in an article, he was discovered by a work crew, um, in a work crew by Jackson TV, and they wanted to, they're like, oh, there's Maddox, and they wanted to, you know, interview him for whatever reason. And, but Maddox refused, begging the newsman to leave him alone. He, he told him, I'm at the point of asking for parole. I have a perfect record here, and I plead with you to do nothing to bring me to the spotlight. So he he had gone up for parole I think maybe a little earlier and got denied cuz everybody rallied you know against it but he was just going to go up and he didn't want to be in the newspaper he didn't want anybody to like remember who he was so that they would come and like but it's been 10 fucking years he's got life in prison and mm-hmm. he's because of good behavior he's already up for parole mm-hmm. at the time one of the prosecutors uh was interviewed as well and he said that they had all signed a petition Um, because it looked like Maddox was going to get released for parole. Um, and they, they were like, uh, that's fine, but you cannot come to Columbus, Mississippi again. So all these people signed this petition for like seeing that this be part of his parole, um whatever. Yeah, like it's file or oh, whatever, so Yeah, they consider it. Um, because <laughs> the guy says, I don't want him back in Columbus. Why, that fella has some sort of mental quirk. Well, but like he's going to go to fucking California and kill that girl. Well, you would think. So, um, Maddox was paroled after 10 years. He was li- released in 1971 and he moved to Huntsville, Alabama. Oh. And became a deacon of... <laughs> A conservative church. Oh my god. Where he still lives today. No way. And that is the murder of Gene Kane Tate. Wow. And murderer John Maddox, who has been free for a really long time. And he's probably, I think he's in his 80s now. Leading a conservative church. Live a conservative <laughs> church. <laughs> Oh, Jen says, did he get married and have kids and stuff? You know, I tried to look him up, and I can't find any information on him at all. Did he change his name? I don't don't think so. I Mm. think I may have even found, but, you know, he's crazy. (laughs) I I don't want to, like...
1: Everybody's going to look it up now. Oh, shit. Courtney's like, how do you spell his last (laughs) name? We're going to get on this. It's
0: all in the newspapers. Oh God! No. Oh, yeah, but um, yeah. So when this was happening, like you know, it made a big impression. This is why Ann Williams wrote the book, and um, I was talking to my mom about it because there were some people listed in the um in in the testimony or whatever for the courts uh, that I that she knew personally. Uh, and actually I have like one of the chili recipes from like these people <laughs> like so they were like very ingrained like you know with everybody because it was a small town mm-hmm. and and my mom was saying like yeah she's like that was so messed up she's, she's a lot of the kids at the time when it happened it scarred them so bad and she was talking about how like it really messed up um you know a lot of people uh, in the area at the time mm. It was crazy but and Williams like, wrote the book because she wanted um, she wanted Jean Tate to have more of a voice because those rumors about her and Maddox mm-hmm. having an affair just like caught on like wildfire and everybody that's what everybody believed and I really feel like it's more of he was obsessed with her and he stopped yeah. her and she was trying to stop it and she stopped um, but the husband believed I don't I have a feeling, and just because some of the newspaper things, <laughs> that the husband believed that she could have been having an affair with him. But I think it like, it was more of a, like, he would, she would leave the house, and then he would leave, and mm-hmm. it wasn't to, like, meet up. It was because he was fucking stalking her. Yeah. So, it's just Ugh. sad. And she left those four children and, like, all the neighborhood, ch- I mean, all the neighborhood children, everybody loved her. Mm. Like, she was, like, really iconic in that neighborhood. And it was, like, just horrible so when I was I, I don't know if I was with you but I was reading this I think I was I was reading like some of the newspaper articles when you were you know we were like working together and I was found out that John Maddox got out because I never know I remember reading the book but I can't I didn't remember that he was like released after 10 years mm-hmm. and that he moved to fucking Huntsville Alabama and that he's still alive and that he was like a deacon in a church and I was like, like absorbing all this information I was like oh my god I remember when fuck. that happened because you were like you were reading and you were like
1: oh my god and I was like what is it and you were like it's about my story and I was like does it make it better and you were like I think
0: so <laughs> but that just I don't know that just really pisses me off mm-hmm. but anyway that's my story we're going to take a little break
1: break <laughs> time peace The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a
0: show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. (laughs) So I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the strange South, Mm -hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities become grow and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive
1: it's a great atmosphere
0: great company
1: and a lot of fun and it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams grave which is haunted so next time you go to say hi to old Hank stop by the goat house beer garden All does, does this look great I don't know it's just in my imagination I figured it was the way to go I'm gonna try not to hack through this, like I did through poor Patrice's story. I didn't hear you. <coughs> we have learned. Uh, we came up with another spectacular business idea while we, we were on break. Did. But I sat down and I was like, I wonder how this hot toddy is going to taste with cough drops. And Patrice goes, whiskey flavored cough drops.
0: <laughs> we will be talking to ja- Daniels tomorrow. Ooh, yes.
1: even better. Yes, whiskey infused. With like the sculptures. little
0: like syrup whiskey in the middle. Listen, I've been, honey I, whiskey. Middle. I know,
1: I know. We have a squire in our midst, but I've been talking up George Dickel since we started this podcast too. I've been talking up that hot Dickel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think we should hit those guys up. Absolutely. All right. So, I read a book too. For last <laughs> It's right here.
0: <laughs> it is old school, like paperback. Is it, just say book on it, it just says book <laughs> on it. <laughs> no, this is
1: because, though, because the title gives away the kind of like. There's this, a tiny reveal near, like maybe a. Quarter of the way in, and and the tit- like the book title, gives it away. And so it's kind of like, if I'm going to go to Mississippi and work on this story, Patrice can't see what book I. Read. <laughs> <laughs> so I covered <laughs> it with paper and line. wrote the word "book" on the outside. Right? You are going to forget what it was, This is a book <laughs> table book. <laughs> okay, here's my story. So, um, this happened. It's weird, like, the turn of the century. Oh, in no. spring 2000. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. <Dang>. Um, <laughs> um,
0: I know, it was like, 1900s, we do that a lot. We do that
1: a lot, but not 2000. So, um, in spring 2000, Andrea Leininger put her two-year-old son James down for the night in his crib. Oh, no. He, don't <laughs> worry. This, that was like, oh, no. <laughs> Are we going to be killing babies tonight? No, no. No. We're not killing babies tonight. Rest easy. Um, So she turns on the monitor, she does a couple dishes, she pours a glass of wine, she unpacks some boxes because they just moved to Lafayette, Louisiana for her husband, Bruce's job. He does something with oil. I don't know. He wrote the book, but he sounds like kind of a dick, so I didn't pay a lot of attention. So she, she goes to her room. She's just going to read herself to sleep. Just as she's getting under the cover, she hears, like, a shriek over the baby monitor. And, you know, anybody who's, you know, it's like, you know what that feeling is. You just, like, the quilt flies off. She races to James's room, and he is screaming in his crib. He's His face is twisted up. He is kicking. He is flailing, like... He's kicking towards the ceiling and is pushing his arms like he's trapped in a box and he's trying
0: to fight his way out. Are you going to make it so I'm scared to sleep by myself no. tonight? No. Okay. No. Sorry. Don't worry. All right. Don't worry. It's I'll stop. Yes. a Rockford house. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, this is not a rock okay. story. I know. I like, I am coming over to your house and sleeping on your couch <laughs> no, tonight.
1: This is not that story. So he's he shrieks, he shrieks. She talks to him. She holds on to him. Finally, she just holds him tight and he kicks and screams and he finally slumps back to scre- Sleep. And that is just the first of this kid's nightmares. If you're, like, did
0: did your son ever have night terrors? He had not so much night terrors, (laughs) but he would sleepwalk. Mm -hmm. He was the sleepwalking kind.
1: Like the show up at the side of your bed. Like show
0: up and stare at you. And you're like, somebody's staring at me and you wake up. And then he's just like over you staring and won't talk to you or anything. Like answer the million, because I'm like, are you sick? Are you running a fever? What's going on? Why are you staring at me? And he's just like staring at you. And you're like, why are you not talking to me? What's going on? And then you realize he's asleep. And then you just like take him back to sleep. And then you ask him about the next day. He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah.
1: Well, I yeah, didn't, creepy. like, we didn't, Abby had night terrors, like, once or twice, and it was like, of course, the, the first time she ever had it, we were in Missouri, staying with Randy's family, in and she was, like, laying on a pallet on his aunt's floor, and she started screaming bloody murder, so oh, you man. recognize what this is. Wow. You had this, too, and they don't, it's, it is very unnerving. Mm. Like, it, it's not nightmares. Did the boys ever have this? No. Um, it's... No. Well, yeah. 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 One, they did it once in Oxford, So <laughs> we were drunker <laughs> 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 Mama, Mama her, but, yeah. Thank you, Mama. And I wonder, like, sometimes, so I wonder if it's some of it is, like, change-related or stress-related or something, because ours is when we were traveling, too. Yeah, but know, our our it's days. like, um, she started just hollering uh, like had to have woken the entire house and the scary part about it is they don't quit and they don't it's not like a normal dream where you can just wake them up yeah they
0: don't respond they
1: don't respond yeah they they shake they i mean they are 100 it's like a whole different it's i mean it's like they're possessed that it's very very scary if you've never seen it before so you know and i'm thinking like you i'm reading about this the first time and i'm like okay so there's night terrors you know lots of kids have night terrors um but you know it is eerie it is terrifying and this this little boy James starts having them four to five nights a week
0: mm. oh.
1: And that's not something that parents can sleep through. This no. is something that you have to get up
0: and deal with. And there the anticipation no for that, even, I mean, even though we didn't deal with night terrors, <laughs> it's the anticipation of sleepwalking or the thing that's going to happen mm-hmm. in the middle of the night is just as bad as the thing happening. Yeah, because
1: you're like, oh, do I have to go to sleep now? How am I going to get enough sleep? Am I going to be a, like, awake when he has his problem or what? You know? Right, right. You're, you're gonna and be you're awake.
0: constantly listening. You're constantly yes. like, yes. You're like uber sensitive
1: to it. Mm-hmm. So, two months into this, Holy two shit. months, they're dealing with this. Andrea realizes in his dream that he is actually saying words. He's two years old. He's saying the same words every time he does this over and over again. And oh, no. Not red rum. <laughs> it's not red rum. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, she asks... Bruce, Bruce is her husband, his father She asked Bruce to come listen um, Which I was like, um, God forbid The dad be the one who goes no, and deals no. with the Fucking nightmares, but no, it's been <laughs> Andrea this entire time <laughs> Sorry But <laughs> God
0: forbid
1: P- Present company accepted Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Um, So, so, uh, you know, she asks Bruce to come listen. Do you hear what I'm hearing? And they both hear it. He is saying over and over again, airplane crash on fire. Um, Little man can't get out. And they listen every night. He has this nightmare and they both hear him say this. So by day, he's a normal kid. There is nothing, like, unusual about him. But he starts, you know, he's got this, he starts to get obsessed with airplanes. So every time, like, they take somebody to the airport, he's in his car seat in the back. And, like, they're halfway there, and he goes, he goes, now listen, you'll understand later, it's not the same thing. But the kid, every time he's in the back of the car, he goes, Daddy's plane's gonna crash on fire. <laughs> and oh, like man. every time the people go to the airport with him, he gets and there's the dad's writing the book and he's talking about like I'm trying not to like like I know it's not his fault, I know it's not his fault, but he's like just wanting to like bless this kid out every time. He's like, We don't say things like this. So he's obsessed with these planes, and his mom one day picks up a toy plane in a store because he's got a lot of these toys, and um, she picks it up and she's like, "This is like the kind that you like." There's even a bomb on the bottom, like it's a war plane. And he's he's two years old. He says, "That's not a bomb, mommy. It's a drop tank." And he loves planes, but they don't watch war documentaries. They don't watch you know History Channel. They don't you know he watches Barney. And Teletubbies. And um, so she has no idea how he knows what a drop tank is. And, um, you know, they get him all these planes. And every time he gets a toy plane, he likes the ones with propellers mostly, just the ones with propellers, the older models. And every time he gets them, he's like torn up the kitchen table because he crashes them all.
0: He runs them into the table and the
1: propellers bust off. (coughs) So one day... um, after he's had one of these nightmares, I know. So in the audience with us is a flight attendant.
0: Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no.
1: right now. Um, oh, my gosh. So one day, like, he's awake, and his mom says, do you remember what you dreamed last night? Because they've never asked him about these, you know, during the daytime. They just assume that he can't remember anything. And he says the same thing. Airplane crashed on fire. Little man can't get out. <sighs> and she says, who's the little man? And he says, me, James. <gasps> And she says, what happens to the plane? And he said, it was on fire. Why? It got shot. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what kind of plane? And some of this conversation happens over the course of several days or even weeks. Like they kind of tease out little questions for him. Do you remember what kind of plane? Corsair. Mm -hmm. What? He just, he just flips out like the, he's two. He just flips out the, the name of this plane. And he's in diapers. Um, and of course, there's a World War II fighter plane mm-hmm. um, who shot it. And he like rolls his eyes and leans his head back and he goes, The Japanese? <laughs> what? And um, so they say, Well, how do you know it was the Japanese? And he said, The big red sun on the side. Oh, damn. So they said, Okay, finally, they kind of, this is a, like I said, over the course of a little while, where did the plane take off from? He said, A boat. Corsair launched from aircraft carriers in World War II. What boat? He says the word Natoma, and his dad goes, "That sounds Japanese." And he goes, "It's not. (laughs) It's American." (laughs) So he goes to bed that night, and you know, Google is new. It's like two thousand. It's not like we didn't have like the internet at our fingertips exactly, but. they search Natoma online and they find out that Natoma Bay was a World War II Pacific aircraft carrier. Oh my and so, you know, they keep on asking more questions. Do you remember anybody else in your dream? And he says, Jack, Jack Larson. He was he was a pilot, too. He's my friend. And so Bruce starts searching obsessively for information about this guy. Um, and one day he was so Bruce is also he's part of like a history book club. <coughs> and one morning, <coughs> um, James is watching cartoons, and Bruce is sitting in a um, in a chair, and he had just gotten this book called Batter, Battle 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 for Iwo Jima by Derek Wright. And um, he starts like just thumbing through the book because he just got it in the mail. And James jumps into his lap and is watching TV, and he kind of glances over while his commercial is on, and he looks at the book, and there's a picture. That's um, of uh, an island. And he points out and he says, That's where my plane was shot down, Daddy. Oh, shit. And, um, you know, he, he, meanwhile, this kid is still having nightmares, but they kind of, his mom is trying all these different things to kind of calm him, you know. And they've kind of tapered down to like three times a week from four or five. This poor woman. <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh.
1: So, 2001. <coughs> His mom Andrea contacts this woman named Carol Bowman, who's written a book about kids reliving past lives. And Bruce, the dad, is like he's very he's he's a Christian and he's very like set in his faith, and he's like, there is no such thing as reincarnation, and this is a bunch of bullshit that your mom's been feeding you.
0: The one that wrote the book? Yeah.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> this is the Bruce Fan Club. <laughs> So um, Carol Bowman responds to Andrea's messages and says, tell your son, because she basically reaches out in desperation. She's like, I never sleep, you know, and I, and my son is miserable at night. This can't be good for him. What can I do? And so Carol Bowman says, tell your son he's remembering something that happened a long time ago, but that he's safe now Mm. and that it's okay. And when she starts doing this, his nightmares actually taper off to every other week. Mm, and um, but he keeps kind of doing unusual things and saying unusual things. So he'll be alone playing and he'll just stand in an empty room and salute and say, I'll salute you. And I never forget. Now, here goes my neck, which I looked up this hair goes my neck thing. And it's something that only naval military men said. And I couldn't figure out what the hell it meant. I yeah. think it's something like, you know, my neck is on the chopping block. I'll, I'll go down for you kind of thing. Um, <coughs> when he's three, he starts drawing these pictures and they're all, you know, ocean battle pictures, um, all World War II, no jets on the planes, no missiles involved. They're all propeller cl- craft. They're like all very, you know, in a certain time period. And they're, very, you know, there are certain identifying features of the aircraft that he draws that are a little bit more than you might expect a kid to to do who's three. And, uh, When I started reading about this, all I could think was my nephew who memorized every single fucking dinosaur that ever existed when he was three years old. And he like, yeah, Patrice is pulling the cover off the book. (coughs) And he he used to get really pissed off at us because like he knew the right pronunciation of compsignathus. Which was like a type of dinosaur I'd never heard of, and you would say it wrong on purpose just to piss him off. When he was three, like so, we would all go and say, like, "Is it Compsognathus?" And he was like, "It's Compsognathus!" And he would cry. <laughs> and apparently, we really loved doing that to him. So he's probably super fucked up now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but <laughs> we love you Wesley <laughs>
1: but um you know I mean I know that the, you know little children are sponges for information so if there is any input sometimes they catch way more and just take it in and can just shoot it right back to you much faster than you would ever imagine oh, absolutely but this was very unusual um so um you know, he tells his parents that the pictures, the, the planes in the pictures are wildcats and corsairs. He calls the Japanese planes Zekes or Betty's, and they ask why. And he says, because they call the boy planes, they call fighters boy planes and bombers girl planes. And this was actually a thing. Like Bruce looked it up, and in US Navy personnel gave male names to fighter planes and female names to bombers. Um, he signs his drawings James III which you think is because he's three years old. And they ask him about it because he never used to do it. And he explains it's because he's the third James. So he's actually
0: <coughs> this specific person, like this... Okay. You shouldn't have uncovered the book. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's I a reveal coming. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, he he's having he's having memories that kind of belong to somebody else. Right. Okay. Um, I didn't get anything from we're good. So what they take him to an air show and he climbs into the cockpit and he reaches over as he gets in and and he he falls. I know, right? Seriously. He grabs the headgear and he pulls it on like he's done that every day, you Mm -hmm. know, like, And Andrea realizes as she watches him get into the cockpit that that's the exact same motion he makes every time he climbs into the car. (sighs) He gets in the backseat of the car. He reaches for his imaginary headgear, pulls it onto his head, buckles himself in. Holy fuck. It's what he's done ever since he started climbing in the car. And she just didn't know what he was doing. (laughs) So in, in March 2002, James is turning four. This woman who wrote this book about past lives for children, Carol Bowman, has given their name to 2020, which, you know, we just talked about 2020 with the, geez, the, the, uh, what was it? The, uh, primetime exorcism that they did.
0: Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) But, um, Oh, my God. That was horrifying. That was
0: awful, right? That was
1: awful. So, you know, 2020. Mm. But, um, they asked to do a story about James's memories. So as part of the show, they take him to an airplane hangar and they have a corsair there. And he kind of circles around and the producer starts asking him these questions about the plane. And he, he just he walks around and it's like he's doing a plane inspection. Like he walks under it, you know, he touches yeah, he's four years old. And um, he he like kind of kicks the tires. He's like, God, wait, these tires used to go flat all the time. And he says, you know, and they they always it's like when you would take off, the planes always wanted to turn left. And it's just this random shit he said about these planes, and it wasn't until three years later when they were interviewing actual veterans who flew these planes that these planes would veer off left when you took them, like, took them off an aircraft carrier. And the tires took a lot of beating when they landed because of how hard they landed and the way the plane was built, and so the tires would go flat all the time. So Bruce is still, like, hunting up info. He's, like, stuck on this Jack Larson name that got thrown out. And, um... The, um, you know, the internet is new. World War II people are old. And so it takes These a are while. Facts. <laughs> These are facts. It takes a while for him to find out information about Jack Larson. But he finds out eventually that there's a meeting of veterans from the Natoma Bay. It's like a reunion that they do. And there's one in September 2002. So he manages to get himself an invite to this reunion. And he goes, he's really basically hunting for proof that his son is not a reincarnated fighter pilot. (coughs) Because by this time, this is 100% what his wife believes. Um, But he doesn't want to believe in reincarnation. And he's like, this can't be true. So he's looking for holes in the story because there are a whole lot of not holes in this story. Um, He finds out while he's there that Jack Larson is on the rolls of the Natoma Bay. And he's still alive, though. He lives in Arizona.
0: What the fuck? How so, does that
1: happen? I know. <laughs> <laughs> How well, can he's he not be... on the dead rolls. He's not... <laughs> okay. Continue. He was in World War II. Little guy couldn't get out. <laughs> I know. So they've been assuming that Jack Larson... Right? ...went down, but they find out he's alive. And so Bruce is like, oh, well, this had to have all been a misunderstanding. Um... He starts, though, while he's at this reunion, he gets access to the records of the deceased from the Natoma Bay, and he finds out that there's a James Houston Jr. that flew from Natoma Bay for five months before he was shot down. He was 21 years old. He was on a special strike mission against shipping in Fatomiko Harbor at Kichijima, which was a supply base that was about 200 miles from Iwo Jima. Um, And... Houston had volunteered for the mission, and it was the last mission he was, it was like, this was the day before I was going to retire. It was the last mission he would have flown before returning to the U.S. Um, He was the only pilot from Natoma Bay who was shot down there near Iwo Jima. Um, So, Bruce calls and tells Andrea that, you know, so, you know, there's this other thing. I found this James Houston, Jr., and she says, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And he's like, okay, what? She's like, Junior, James, Sr., James, Jr.,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. James, three. Mm -hmm. And so Bruce calls Jack Larson, who James has said, you know, was a pilot also. Mm -hmm. He visits him in Arizona. Larson says that Houston's plane was hit by anti-aircraft fire on March 3rd, 1945. And between him and some other people that Bruce talked to, he found out the shell that hit it took off the propeller. So James is crashing the plane, always breaking the propellers off. Um, his plane lit up in flames and crashed into the water under anti-aircraft anti- fire. And um, Larson had been Houston's wingman during that run. So that's why he remembered James Larson or Jack Larson's name. So um, Larson actually sends Bruce home with his old cloth flight helmet. With, Google, Googles, with goggles and oxygen mask to give to James. Now, Bruce isn't telling anyone that his son might be a reincarnated fighter pilot. He's telling them that he's writing a book on World War II, and he wants to know about the Natoma Bay, so he hasn't told anyone, but he does say, I have a son who's really interested in this stuff. So Larson gives him this stuff. James never takes that thing off. He, is a, like, he loves it. It's awesome. <coughs> so later that year... The family has to evacuate Lafayette because there's um, a hurricane. Hurricane Lily, I guess, hits that year. And Bruce, like, they come back, and their house has kind of been trashed. It's not, you know, they don't lose everything, but everything's a little trashed. It's like a long time. It takes them like four weeks to clean up. So they're cleaning up, and, you know, Bruce is having a moment, and he picks up James, and he kisses him, and he says, I'm really glad you're my son. And James said, that's why I picked you. Ah. When I found you, I knew you and mommy would be good to me. And Bruce is like, where did you find us? And James says, Hawaii. And the family has gone to Hawaii just this past summer. So it's not, you know, he's like, okay, he's, you know, right. right. He's playing a game. He says, no, no, we all went there. And Bruce said, not when we all went, it was just you and mommy. I found you at the big pink hotel. I found you at the beach. You were eating dinner at night. In 1997. Bruce and Andrea went to Hawaii to celebrate their fifth wedding anniversary, stayed at the Royal Hawaiian, which was a big pink hotel on Waikiki Beach had a moonlight dinner on the beach on their last night there, and it was five weeks before Andrea got pregnant I've got chills (laughs) holy fuck oh my god so, like, and James gets, like, G.I. Joes as gifts. You know, he's getting a little bit older. He names them weird names that aren't family names, like Billy and Leon and Walter, like, they're names that he knows. Mm-hmm. Like World, War II, no. <laughs> World War II names. Nobody in the family or friends, and somebody finally asked him, why do you name these? Because that's who met me when I got to heaven, he told them. Uh, and wow. they looked, and Bruce runs to his desk and grabs the list of deceased men from Matoma Bay. James Houston Jr., Billy Peeler, Leon Connor, Walter Devlin, all in the same squadron, all three of the others killed before James. And their hair color matches the hair color of the goddamn GI Joes that he named them after.
0: Oh my god. So
1: all like I said all of Bruce's sleuthing is done without telling anybody about James' nightmares and this, you know, possibility of reincarnation. They finally though they reach out to James Houston's sister. Um, Her name is Anne. And, um, you know, she's sent photos and everything like that. And Bruce has finally gotten to the point where he's just like, I can't, I can't think this is anything but what you're saying it is. Mm -hmm. And so he finally just completely comes clean and he tells Anne, I really think my son is your brother. And um, she asked to talk to James on the phone. And when he gets on the phone with her, he calls her Annie, which only her brother has ever done. He wasn't oh, introduced to her shit. as Annie. He just starts calling her Annie. He knows that they have another sister. They know He knows what her name is. He knows how much older she is. He talks about their father and their mother. He knows that his father was an alcoholic. He knows that his, their father would smash things. Um the, so their mother was an artist and had done a painting of James when he was a child, James Houston, and Anne mails it to James three. And when he gets it, he calls her and he says, where's the picture of you? Because there was a twin picture that their mother did of his sister that nobody else knew about. And that has been living in her attic. Oh my God. Oh, wow. So they, once Bruce finally like comes to grips with this, he's just, he's committing to this reincarnation theory now and he starts taking james to natoma bay reunions and as soon as he starts meeting these other vets he starts becoming more peaceful he starts having fewer nightmares finally when he's six they take him to japan and they they like a japanese tv station gets in touch with them and ask if they would like to go to the spot where james houston's plane went down and so they take him on a boat And they take him out to the spot where the crash happened and they cut the engines and James just starts to cry and he cries for 15 minutes. And then he says goodbye to James Houston. And after the trip, he draws the very first peaceful ocean drawing he has ever drawn with dolphins and planes, but no gunfire and no fire. And he just signs it, James.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So in 2013, he was on Fox and Friends, but we'll forgive him for that. (laughs) Um, He said his nightmares completely stopped after he went to Japan Mm. and that he still has memories from James Houston's life, but that he is going on with his current life. How old is he now? Let's see. He was born in 98, so he's 21, right? Is that right? Did I do that right? Um yeah so i'll post there are pictures there are pictures of james three there are pictures of james houston there is lots of resource on Holy this story shit but people point to it as like the preeminent story of child reincarnation in the country wow past life past memories yeah mm. not yeah so i guess reincarnation is a bit of but yeah past memories past life memories Oh my god! <laughs> I've never fucking heard of it. That was awesome. Oh my god! There no are there are, there are system multiple system television shows that system have system yeah that right have tomorrow. covered this, and I, I can probably embed at least one of the videos on the show page because I found one of them and rewatched it. I think we covered we covered most of what they cover, mm-hmm. but um yeah and and uh, I should say now the book is called Soul Survivor. Um, the re- soul, S O U L. Right. The reincarnation of a World War II fighter pilot, and it is by um, Bruce and Andrea Leininger. So you can get it on Amazon, and I'll provide you the link for that. But right. yeah, it was
0: it was interesting. Holy shit! <coughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Way to end an anniversary Woo! episode. Woo! Woo! And nobody is sad. Well, I cried a little.
1: I did. I got a little tear right here.
0: You scared someone out. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, Noelle my God.
1: Sure. It's a fighter oh. pilot. It's different. Oh, my
0: gosh.
1: <laughs> I couldn't wait with it. It was giving it away.
0: <laughs> well, I seriously thought it was going to be like, oh, did we do two, like, mother murder kind of things? <laughs> I was like, did we sync up like that? But no. Well, thanks, everybody, Ooh. for listening. We appreciate y'all thank so you, you, much. Thank you, thank you. And we will see you in the new year.
1: Yay! Oh, follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and check out our website thestrangesouth.com all our social media links are there and for extra fun and goodies join our facebook fan group fans of the strange south podcast and if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind the scenes photos and videos please consider joining our patreon 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 at www.patreon.com slash the